This is Soul Over the Bones, a podcast for rewilding by Liz Glenn. I first learned about hierophany from Catherine May's book, Enchantment, a term which can be defined as humans making the ordinary divine. In case you couldn't tell, it is a Greek word from the Greek hieros, which means sacred or holy, and phanon, to reveal or bring to light. When you put these terms together, literally, it is bringing to light what is sacred or making sacred what you notice or what has been brought to light. Mircea Iliad was a philosopher and historian of religion at the University of Chicago who lived between 1907 and 1986. He expressed that religion originates from an irreducible experience of the sacred, common to most human beings. This experience seeks to find its outward cultural expression in myths and rituals, which become the communal gateways to connecting with the transcendent reality. Basically, the sacred that we perceive within us become outward expressions through myths and rituals that we as a collective, as a society, accept as the transcendent reality. Humans are meaning makers. We create symbols and intuit signs. We draw parallels and make stories. This is the practice of making sacred the mundane, of seeing beauty in the everyday. This is a practice I can get on board with. It's not a secret that I struggle with depression, and one of the side effects is a commonly discussed one in prescription medicine commercials, and that is losing interest in the things that once excited you. I distinctly remember a sad, slow, bouncing Zoloft blob commercial with this exact sentiment, and I am now that proverbial blob. Creating used to be something that made me feel alive when nothing else could. Now even that is a significant stretch for me. I'm tired. I'm zoned out. I'm glazed over. I'm apathetic. I want to want it, but I can't seem to force myself to. Hierophany reminds me of this once beloved practice that made magic out of dancing dappled light through my kitchen window each evening. The cool, soft mornings blanketed in salty sea air. I once gave a talk on the main stage at Photonative 2020 entitled, Gratitude is Our Creative Lifeblood, and that's exactly what Hierophany is telling me. Through the practice of noticing, of getting excited over or feeling deeply satisfied about something, I then want to create within that vein of surging flow. Not much makes me feel alive like the simple things, and it's not just the experiencing of these simple things. Chamomile, willow branches, light dazzled on water, a dancing fire, but the meaning I add to it. A river becomes a symbol of change. A mountain a symbol of persistence, a tree, a story of rootedness, a parrot, the enigma of cheeky revolt, a wolf, 
the poster child of the wild. Archetypes work in this way. We create stories about what we perceive, patterns we've beheld and use it as a sort of classification. A person who exhibits self-control and mastery could be described as a warrior, which is an archetype. A person who has an appetite for sensuality could be described as a lover. We label because it helps us understand, but we also have to remember that it can limit our multifaceted nature by oversimplifying, by making us only one thing when we are all constantly everything. Ultimately, understanding archetypes ties together common threads, helping us to better relate to others. The purpose of archetypes, as defined by studiobinder.com, says these archetypal patterns are universal and repeated ideas or symbols that unite the people of the world across time and space. We often focus on things that make us different from one another, but these patterns remind us that there's an innateness of the human condition that makes us the same. Hierophany is not only seeking meaning for ourselves, but seeking connection with others, just like archetypes. When I was young and my mom would take me to a store, she had a keen eye for finding any penny in the parking lot. Find a penny, pick it up, all the day you'll have good luck, she'd chime as she stashed it away into her pocket. Found coins later took on a new meaning when I took Darcy Benincosa's self-made mastermind and was taught how to change my mindset around money. Pennies that were once practically useless to me now remind me of the inherent abundance I'm surrounded by. Abundance follows me wherever I go. I now chime to my daughter when I find stray coins. When my ex-husband's father passed away, I sent everything I scrolled past about death to my sister-in-law. One was a graphic showing reminders that you're being visited by loved ones who have passed away. Cardinals, rainbows, feathers, butterflies, all become sacred tokens imbued with meaning beyond their everyday form. I don't know that Gary took the form of an eagle when he died, but I definitely think of him whenever I see a bald eagle swoop down to grab its prey. Directly after my grandpa's funeral, we stopped into a crystal shop. All these tumbled rocks in an array of shapes and colors resting in their respective bowls, accompanied by a description of what each of them can do to heal you. I don't know if I fully believe it, as I'm skeptical of everything, but it makes me feel good to attach meaning to a little stone and carry it around, believing that it can heal some part of me. At the very least, it draws my attention to that corner of my life that could use a little love, where I can heal it with the powers of a stone or otherwise. Giving meaning to symbols might just be a human's way of attaching meaning to something that is otherwise commonplace, but it can also be a poetic lifeline that weaves meaning throughout the perceiver's life. In the major arcana of tarot, there's a card called the Hierophant, a Pope-looking masculine figure opposite the high priestess. This card represents establishing tradition in the way that it encourages us to look into the rituals we currently practice rather than adhering to the traditions we've been taught. 
there is a correct order or pattern the cards are laid out in, in a similar way that a playing card deck has an order from ace, king, queen, jack, ten, nine, eight, etc. There's an order that tarot cards are read in or placed in that tells you exactly where you're at in your journey according to the card that you pick. It tells you something meaningful about your life. The Hierophant is after the Emperor and before the Lover's card. In the Major Arcana, the first card we start in is card zero, the Fool. And this is essentially a blank slate where we're born, where we start our journey. Next, cards one through four are the Magician, the High Priestess, the Empress, the Emperor, and card five is the Hierophant. So in the first four cards, we're in the part of our life's journey where we're self or inward focused. Imagine a newborn through young childhood. But once we reach card five, the Hierophant, we're turning outward now. And it's the part of our life's journey where we start connecting with people and the world around us. Five is a number of contraction. So it's an uncomfortable growing period where in the case of this card, the fifth in the major arcana, we're learning how to break cycles and forge a new path in our own lives and belief systems. It's like leaving the nest and striking out on our own. An example of this, as far as hierophany goes and how this relates is that instead of accepting a sign or symbol for what it's traditionally been accepted as, we create our own meanings. We find our own new signs and symbols. We adopt rituals and tailor them to our own needs and find our own meanings within them instead of accepting at face value what we've inherited. I relied super heavily on Jacqueline Kitzman's Awakened Tarot podcast for learning these things, and I am far from understanding it perfectly. So if you want to know more, That is my recommended source. John O'Donohue's book, Beauty, The Invisible Embrace, is almost exclusively predicated on the idea of hierophany, if only peripherally. It's a dedication to the art of observance of the fleeting beauty every day surrounding you, the plain waiting to become magic. In this book, he quotes poet Rainer Maria Rilke to drive this point home. Rilke said, Perhaps we are here in order to say house, bridge, fountain, gate, pitcher, fruit tree, window, to say them more intensely than the things themselves ever dreamed of existing. It feels a little more than trite to say that humans are the ones who give meaning to things, that a thing was once plain ordinary, without story, until we came along and saw magic in it. A thing can be magical all on its own just for existing, and yet aren't we the only species truly capable of transforming the mundane into something extraordinary? I don't see this as something worthy of bragging rights so much as a gift that should be our North Star, since we are the only ones capable of projecting meaning the way we often so poetically do, maybe that is not just our gift, but our responsibility to continue to do so. In our society, if you have a talent that nobody else does, 
It's seen as your purpose to fully cultivate it. If nobody else can do the things you do, it does more than just set you apart. Alternatively, unless you're receptive to the beauty around you, there's no hope for you to translate any kind of magic into anything. I spent years living in the same place I'm at now and never saw anything other than a vast expanse of nothing most days. Now that I'm back, I see a place brimming with constant renewal of fresh gifts. Time away might have been the medicine I needed to properly see. In order to expect a visit from the numinous, we have to first set the table. We are, of course, the table in this instance, and the way we can prepare ourselves is practically limitless. Starting a practice of observance and gratitude is one way. Spending time in early morning or late evening sun. Identifying birds. Identifying plants. Spending time with our fingers in the dirt. What makes you feel alive? What sparks that magic within you? Notice it and seek it out more regularly. Carve out time for it. Clarissa Pingola Estes calls this table setting multiple things in Women Who Run With The Wolves. A door, for one, saying, I'll tell you right now, the doors to the world of the wild self are few but precious. If you have a deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much, you almost cannot bear it, that is a door. If you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. She also describes it as the Rio Abajo Rio, the river beneath the river, saying, Each woman has potential access to the Rio Abajo Rio, this river beneath the river. She arrives there through deep meditation, dance, writing, painting, prayer making, singing, drumming, active imagination, or any activity which requires an intense altered consciousness. She arrives there by deeply creative acts, through intentional solitude, and by practice of any of the arts. She also calls this singing over the bones when she says, People do meditation to find psychic alignment. That's why people do psychotherapy and analysis. That's why people analyze their dreams and make art. That is why some contemplate tarot cards, cast I Ching, dance, drum, make theater, pry out the poem, and fire up their prayers. That's why we do all the things we do. It is the work of gathering all the bones together. Then we must sit at the fire and think about which song we will use to sing over the bones, which creation hymn, which recreation hymn, and the truths we tell will make the song. She explains that these are considered ways to go home. It could be any of the following she lists or none at all, but these are examples of setting the table for magic. Rereading passages of books and single poems that have touched you. Spending even a few minutes near a river, a stream, a creek. Lying on the ground in dappled light being with a loved one without kids around, sitting on the porch, shelling something, knitting something, peeling something, 
walking or driving for an hour any direction, then returning, boarding any bus, destination unknown, making drums while listening to music, greeting sunrise, driving out to where the city lights do not interfere with the night sky, praying, a special friend, sitting on a bridge with legs dangling over, holding an infant, sitting by a window in a cafe and writing, sitting in a circle of trees, drying hair in the sun, putting hands in a rain barrel, potting plants, being sure to get hands very muddy, beholding beauty, grace, the touching frailty of human beings. Sometimes feeling creative or seeing the magic of the everyday can often feel like what came first, the chicken or the egg. Is it in the doing that we are inspired or do we receive inspiration that motivates us to do? I think it can happen either way, but I often feel like inspiration only truly visits once you are in the process already of doing. So whatever this table setting looks like to you, I encourage you to figure it out and then do it. Welcome Hierophany into your life and allow yourself to be transformed. Allow that transformation to reverberate out from you into those you're surrounded by, into your corner of the world. Allow it into your home, your art, your relationships, your heart. Talk next time. (music) 